Is Marvel in trouble? Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Christmas is kicking off now on November 1st. <laughs> Although this probably would be a Halloween article, to be completely honest with you. Yeah! So, the internet broke today because Friday just dropped a story. Their cover story, Is Marvel in Trouble? And literally, the entire Marvel fandom has just paused. I mean, listen, this isn't news to anyone who is a fan of the MCU. Ever since Thor Love and Thunder, we kind of walked away from that being like, wait a minute, that should have been a good movie. (laughs) You know what I mean? Similarly, uh, before that, we kind of got a little inkling that something was going on with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness when we were like, "Um, did these people watch WandaVision? And turns out Michael Waldron and Sam Raimi did not watch WandaVision and admitted to it. And even Elizabeth Olsen was like, I told the writers, were you aware of what you were doing at what what we were doing in WandaVision? In in Multiverse of Madness, that's the reason why it almost made a billion dollars because Elizabeth Olsen has a huge fan base, myself included, of Wanda stands who will turn out for anything that she's in. But that's Multiverse of Madness, then Thor, Love and Thunder, what else came out during that time? We had She-Hulk and we had Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel, I think, is a very good show. I just don't like the post-credit scene where they reveal her to be a mutant. That was kind of like an insult to my, my my fandom. I'm like, you just spent this entire series telling me that she's not an inhuman, that she's actually a djinn, and she gets her powers from this bracelet that's from her family line. And then in the last minute, some random high school students discovers the X gene and that she's a mutant. I thought it was such an insult to my intelligence. And that's my biggest pet peeve. Do not insult my intelligence as a viewer because I I will get really angry. But yes, a high school student in a world full of Tony Starks and Shuri's, but this random high school student discovers a mutant X gene. It just, it, it infuriates me, but Regardless of that, that post-credit scene, Miss Marvel is a really solid show. I wasn't a big fan of She-Hulk. Of course, I love the messaging behind She-Hulk. I love the character of She-Hulk, but I just don't think the writing was pretty good. And I guess I was going in expecting a legal drama. We know those writers also admit it to not knowing how to write a proper legal drama. I thought I grew up with attorneys. So a lot of my family members are attorneys. My dad's an attorney. My cousin's an attorney. I almost went to law school. So when I was looking at this, I was like, well, this doesn't feel like a legal drama. And it's kind of nonsensical. The writing was very whimsy. Again, love the messaging, love She-Hulk, but it was kind of all over the place. So I wasn't a big fan of that. And then, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, for me, that was a big letdown. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that was a big letdown for me. And I was so excited because it was my first screener that I went to in Miami back in, what, February? And I was so excited. I'm like, ooh, we just moved down to Florida. I'm getting this press screening for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And I was like, this is a terrible movie. The only thing that saved it was Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer. And we're going to be talking about Jonathan Majors as well in this episode. And listen, Familia, I'm going to tell you the truth. I did not watch Secret Invasion. Tuned in for like the first half of the first episode. I was like, eh, I'm done. I'll just read the spoilers online. I don't feel I need to watch this. I, who am a diehard Marvel X-Men fan, who has watched every single thing the MCU has put out, I actively said, I'm not going to watch Secret Secret Invasion. I'll pass on it. That is a problem. That is a problem if I don't want to watch it. 
right? As a crazy Stan who wants to pick everything apart, I opted to pass on Secret Invasion. And with Loki, watched the first episode. We reviewed it with Latvarian Lad. Obviously, had a great time reviewing it with him. And we were going to eat McDonald's and watch episode two because that's what Grace Randolph said, that we had to watch episode two while eating McDonald's. And we were together at Comic-Con, at New York Comic-Con. And me and Latvarian Lad were like, man, we can pass on McDonald's for tonight and watching this. Let's just do something else instead. So... I'm on episode three of Loki, but I'm very far behind. And again, that's a problem if someone like me and our community aren't really watching these shows as they come out, being like, we have to watch this, we have to watch it. Ah, it's tough. Now, I'm excited for the Marvels. I really am excited for the Marvels. And I feel I should say in this episode, Ryan Panagos, H&M, when we had him on the podcast, he said, hey, take a look out for... The Marvels, I think your corner of the Marvel Universe will be happy. Obviously, our corner is X-Men. So I'm saying that here because I do want to generate excitement for it. I don't want articles like this coming out where the MCU is plummeting and we're not getting the hype out there for these characters and these IPs. We thought when Endgame ended that we were only just at the beginning, that this was just the first chapter of what was going to be Decades worth of storytelling, and wow, immediately after Endgame, everything just went straight down. <laughs> oh, it's so upsetting. I, I'm so heartbroken that we're living in this world. But there was a point in my life, I'm only talking about in my life, that not only me and my husband Jeff were dying to watch every Marvel project that was coming out, but when I was at the office back when I had a nine to five at Harper Collins, everyone would be talking about the Marvel movies. We're talking executives all the way down to interns and we would just all congregate and we would chat about the movies. And I'd explain some of the lore here and there to some of my coworkers, my dad who has not watched a single blockbuster sci-fi fantasy saga since Lord of the Rings, was so into the MCU. He was talking to me about Star-Lord. Do you know what it is that my own dad was talking to me about Star-Lord? That's what a household name Star-Lord was. My buddy Phil, I always talk about Phil because Phil's usually a good thermometer for me. We've had him on the podcast before. Go check out those episodes. But he's a good thermometer for me to see how hype is the general population for an MCU project. And I know if he's hyped, that means everyone's talking about it. He's always been like a good, like he's always been my good thermometer for that. He was texting me daily WandaVision theories. Now, in fairness, we're never going to get the engagement we got during lockdown for these MCU properties, but they were well-received. WandaVision, for all its flaws, WandaVision had a couple flaws in it, but for all its flaws, it took off. It made everyone excited for Wanda. And it was something that everyone was talking about. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, it, it, it was, I think the general consensus at the time was this is a very by the numbers MCU project, but it was still well done and people still liked it. And everyone was talking about US Agent. You know, what if? I don't really, really remember. We covered what if on the podcast. And, you know, it's done good in our catalog. I get notifications at least daily that someone's tuning into those to those episodes. But Loki season one, I remember 
everyone was talking about Loki season one. Everyone, the timeline was broken and everyone was like, what does this mean? But that, I'm going to tell you, Familia, I think that was a problem. The timeline broke in Loki season one and the ramifications for that have not been picked up until Loki season two. And maybe they, they were tying everything together in the episodes I haven't seen. So don't come at me if that's the case. But we really should have seen at the beginning of No Way Home some of the ramifications of that timeline breaking. We should have seen that in Multiverse of Madness. We, the viewers, can say, well, this is why Wanda was able to dreamwalk. Of course, we can We can always speculate on what happens and how we could connect everything. But the one thing the Marvel Universe used to do was connect things for the viewers. They have not connected it. Again, we can speculate, but they have not officially connected any, everything. All right, so Variety release this article today crisis at marvel jonathan majors backup plants the marvel's reshoots reviving original avengers and more issues revealed by tatiana siegel so why don't we read this article i read the first paragraph and i was like you know what this is something i just want to read on air and react with everyone about so Guys, go to Variety.com. Make sure you check out this article. It doesn't seem too long. Let me see. Let me scroll past it really long. It doesn't seem too long. It seems fine. So we're going to go through it together as a familia, reading it for the first time. All right. Are you guys ready? All right. I'm so excited. I mean, they, they truly, listen, I don't want Marvel to be in this situation at all. I really wish this would have been a reverse graphic where things are just going through the roof and the X-Men are coming in and we're all so excited for uh, the next MCU project. But this article dropping today is a gift for all of us D-list content creators because we're like, ooh, we get to talk about this. <laughs> and I was just telling one of our co-hosts that there was no news. I was like, I wish there was more news. So I'm on a strict diet because <laughs> it's so ridiculous to say I'm on a strict diet because it's auction season. And I got to fit into those suits, but I'm like, I'm grabbing this wild cherry Pepsi and we're going to talk about this article. So get comfortable. Let's let's dissect this article. I love Pepsi. I love cherry Pepsi and cherry Coke, cherry anything, really. All right, let's dive in. This past September, a group of Marvel creatives, including studio chief Kevin Feige, assembled in Palm Springs for the studio's annual retreat. I love Palm Springs. I was just there in August. Most years, the vibe would have been confident, even cocky, given how the premier superhero brand owned by Disney since 2009 has remade the entertainment business in its image. It's true. Owned by Disney since 2009 has remade the entertainment business in its image. I agree. There is no doubt that the MCU, as spearheaded by Kevin Feige, redid the entire entertainment industry. It, it was printing money, for gosh sakes. But <gasps> this occasion was angst-ridden. Everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen a legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars and questions about the viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond movies into streaming. Okay. And streaming is on, by the way, in fairness, it's not just Disney that's suffering with, with streaming. I was talking to someone who works in streaming, not, not at HBO or Disney, not one of the, the top tier ones, but one of the lower tier ones. And they're like, there's no money to be made in streaming. And what they're hoping to do with their streaming platform, and this is just, you know, a cog in the wheel. So don't don't take this verbatim, but just take it with a grain of salt. But they were saying that 
they're hoping for their streaming platform that they can build up a library of content and then sell it off to like Netflix or or someone else like that. So, you know, the industry is aware that there's not a lot of money made in streaming. I, it was fine when it was just Netflix, when it was just one source, Netflix, maybe Hulu. But now that you have like a million different streaming platforms, there's there's no money to be made there anymore. But that's just in fairness to to Disney Plus. And I think they're probably one of the more successful ones. So if they're hurting, the ones underneath them are hurting. The most pressing issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do about Jonathan Majors, the actor who had been poised to carry the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but instead is heading into a high-profile trial in New York later this month on domestic violence charges. The actor insists he is the victim, but the damage to his reputation and the chance he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to center the next phase of its interlocking slate of sequels, spinoffs, and series around Major's villainous character, Kang the Conqueror. Ah! Jonathan Majors was poised to be the Thanos-level threat. Why did he die... At the end of Loki. I know it's he who remains variant. Why did he die in Quantum Mania? And and spoiler warning for Loki season two, I think a version of him dies in like the next episode or two. <laughs> this character is always dying. And I get it. At the end of Quantum Mania, you have all these variants that are writing and everything, but he seems pretty easy to kill. And I'm sorry, if Wasp and Ant Man could kick his butt, like well, what, what kind of threat is he? Now, with Jonathan Majors, I was following the case when it initially happened. I have not been following it since, right? I know it's a series of back and forths and and weird text messages that sound like they were constructed by a publicist and the girlfriend is in rehab, something like that. I don't know. I really, I honestly, there's so much information out there. I just want to see how everything plays out before we formally weigh in on it. But one thing I will say, I think Jonathan Majors was a terrific actor to bring into the MCU. I I can speak to the hype. I saw Power of X-Men and with my buddy Ralph over at No More Mutants. Kang content leading up to Quantumania was insane. It, it, it got so much engagement. People were really curious to see Jonathan Majors Kang. Especially following Loki's season one with he who remains and and again we were okay with him dying at the end because he was supposed to be he who remains and the real kang was coming that was that was fine the way it was executed but then he, he the king the conqueror dies in in quantumania ah so we were already kind of like cocking our heads like what, what kind of threat really is he you know this doesn't feel like a thanos level threat if he dies in an ant-man movie and again we know there are plenty of variants out there but it still left like kind of like a weird taste in our mouth. So I think the article doesn't really address that. Yes, of course, everything that's happening on the legal front with Jonathan Majors has sort of sullied his reputation, has made all of us MCU fans question his future in the MCU. But 
I think we should also consider that hype was dying down even before that. I'm not saying the two are related. I'm not saying the two are related by any means, but I'm just saying we kind of left Quantumania not being excited for Kang. And now we have legal issues with Jonathan Majors. And we're like, well, is this character even going to be in, in the MCU in the future? So a lot of hype for Kang as a character has just died. Right. And I, no one's talking about him in Loki season two. No one's talking about Loki season two in general. You know, may, maybe very minor groups are, but not, not, not in any significant way. Okay. Sorry. Let, 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 let's continue. Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang angle says one top deal maker who has seen the final Loki episode. Okay. I, I wonder what that is supposed to mean. I, I guess Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang angle, says one top deal maker. I mean, what does one top deal maker mean? Like just someone who makes movie deals <laughs> who has seen or, or actor deals. I wish that would, that would have been a little bit more specific. Who has seen the final Loki episode? I mean, I guess they're setting up Kang in a major way and they're like, well, we still don't know what's going on with Jonathan Majors. And they haven't had an opportunity to rewrite until recently because of the strike. But I don't see a path to how they move forward with him. Beyond the bad press for majors, the brain trust at Marvel is also grappling with the November release of The Marvels, a sequel to the 2019 blockbuster Captain Marvel that has been played with lengthy reshoots and now appears likely to underwhelm at the box office. Yeah. I agree with that. Unfortunately, I agree with that. Listen, here's my relationship with with Captain Marvel. I like that movie. I had no qualms with it. It everyone always says it was sandwiched between two of the biggest movies in cinema history. And if you want to say that, that's fine. But it still got the job done. And when Brie Larson was initially, when Brie Larson was initially announced to be playing Carol Danvers, everyone was so excited. That Comic-Con where she came out in the green dress and she had like the reddish hair waving like that. She was coming off of an Oscar win for Room. And I love the book Room. And she played Ma in it. And she was phenomenal in it. I think we were all really excited. Now, I think we'll do an episode kind of like going through Brie Larson and the history of of where of how we got here with the Marvels. But unfortunately, I just don't think the hype is there for the Marvels. Captain Marvel, since Captain Marvel came out, Captain Marvel in the comics hasn't really landed in general in the comic book front in the way that the all the Avengers sort of exploded post Avengers. Back in 2010, I'm sorry to say that even though I think some of the comics with Carol are is pretty good, are pretty good, and I especially love her as binary and her history with Rogue. Carol hasn't taken off in the comics as well as we 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 wish she would have. I love Monica Rambeau as Photon. I thought she was a wonderful addition to WandaVision. I'm excited to see her in the Marvels. And so I don't think I'm going to be a good judge to like objectively look at everything with Monica Rambeau. I love Monica Rambeau in Marvel Divas. I love Monica Rambeau where she's leading the Avengers. And I love Monica Rambeau in Agents of Hate Next Wave. So, you know, I just I'm just overall excited for the character and I can't wait to see what they do with Monica Rambeau. 
Kamala, I loved, again, I love her Disney Plus series. I love that first volume where the character had her first solo outing. I thought it was so good, but I think making her into a mutant has really turned me off, given everything Marvel did with the Inhumans back in the day and where they're at with the IP now. So now they have to kind of go back and they're making Kamala now a mutant. And I'm just like, ah, I wish Kamala would just be on her own. But I will say Iman Vellani so charismatic. My favorite parts of the trailer are Iman Vellani. So I'm excited to see Iman Vellani. So again, on one hand, I am personally excited for the Marvels. I can't wait to see it. I am going opening night, probably a midnight showing. On the other, I understand why the hype isn't there. And everything I've sort of heard from other people is that it's just an okay movie. That's unfortunate. This is all an unprecedented turn of fortune for a company that has enjoyed a nearly uninterrupted string of hits ever since it started independently producing its movies with 2008's Iron Man. That wildly profitable run culminated in the 2.8 billion success of 2019's Avengers Endgame, a high watermark for the studio that has earned nearly 30 billion over 32 films. Listen, we're not going to count everything that happened with the pandemic, and I would classify Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and The Eternals as pandem pandemic movies. I mean, yes, Spider-Man No Way Home literally was printing money, so fair enough. But that is a Spider-Man movie. But I would say, you know, Captain America, I don't think, had a huge box office you know, slam dunk the first Captain America. That's why they pivoted to Civil War and Winter Soldier, or Winter Soldier and Civil War. I would say the first Ant-Man wasn't particularly good, and that's why they also pivoted to Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, and Thor the Dark World. But yes, for all intents and purposes, they were making lots of money. And, you know, things like Captain America 1, Marvel was able to pivot and evolve, right? The only serious misstep that the MCU had were the Inhumans. That was a serious misstep, and... They have been sponged. Cite, cite my rant on, on Inhumans from an editorial perspective and the IP perspective and everything going on with Miss Marvel. I won't repeat that here, but let's continue through the article. Replicating that kind of phenomenon is never easy. That's fair. It, it truly, it is harder than it looks. However, the source of Marvel's current trouble can be tracked back to 2020. That's when the COVID pandemic ushered in a mandate to help boost Disney's stock price with an endless torrent of interconnected Marvel content for the studio's streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. According to the plan, there would never be a lapse in superhero fare with either a film in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. Mm. But like, at that time, Writing off the success of Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home, I don't think that's a horrible strategy, especially also considering the boom of streaming shows and binging and watching content at home. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily point that finger at them as if they were getting too greedy. I don't think they were being too greedy. I think the market could have sustained it within reasonable doses that's just my my opinion there we could have sustained that like if we had gone wandavision and then maybe at the end of the year we would have gone falcon the winter soldier and you made sure each of these products each of these shows something major was happening in them i think we would have been fine in that regard 
but they got really greedy really fast and it kind of replicates what happens in the comic book industry where you have a crossover like House of M or Avengers versus X-Men and you have the main story which is already bloated with too many issues but then you have all of these spin-off titles for that crossover that nothing of consequence really happens in there so again it's kind of a, like a nuanced issue right they they had the market after Endgame and if they just would have expanded cautiously optimistic and told stories that really propel the plots forward the larger plots of what's going on in the mcu i think they could have gone away with it wandavision as much as we love wandavision we we now know was inconsequential to watch because you just pick up multiverse of badness and any of that character development that happened in wandavision wasn't really there i'll also say that with falcon the winter soldier and wandavision it all kind of led to an ending where the character takes on their mantle and that's it you could easily, all you needed to know at the end of WandaVision is that now she's a Scarlet Witch. All you need to know at the end of Falcon Winter Soldier is that Sam is now officially Captain America, which we kind of already inferred he was in, in Endgame when Cap gave him the shield. Hopefully with Thunderbolts, what happened in Falcon the Winter Soldier, we will see a thread there. But we haven't really seen any threads from these MCU shows into the MCU movies. It is what it is. Okay. So, but the ensuing tsunami of spandex proved to be too much of a good thing. And the demands of churning out so much programming taxed the Marvel apparatus. Moreover, the need to tease out an interwoven storyline over so many shows, movies, and platforms created a muddled narrative that baffled viewers. I agree. But like, here's the thing. They didn't need to muddle anything. The timeline is broken. Loki set it up. The timeline is broken. After those first four Disney Plus shows, Wanda, Falcon, What If, and Loki, you could have ended it right there with the timeline is broken. But you know what? You have Wanda, who's now a fully realized Scarlet Witch. You have Loki, who is with the TVA, and you have Sam Wilson as Captain America, and you have the Watcher overlooking everything. Boom, right there. You make it so easy. But they we, Marvel just kept getting this obsession with having to tease out stories. It's the same thing that's happening in the current X office right now. Every issue needs to tease out a much larger story or a plot point that we'll never see fully realized. That will just be there, a seed in the ground that until some writer decides to come and unearth it, we'll never hear from again. And even if that writer unearths it, it's not going to be worth the payoff. Secret Invasion being one of them. In, at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, you know, we saw that Fury and Hill were scrolls, and that did not pay off at all in Secret Invasion. In fact, no one cared once we saw Secret Invasion. No one even talked about that post credit scene that happened in Far From Home. Oh. Anyways. All right, let's go. The Marvel machine was pumping out a lot of content. Did it get to the point where there was just too much and there were burning people out on superheroes. I think for the general population, yes, I do agree. I think for the general population, yes, it's possible, says Wall Street analyst Eric Handler, who covers Disney. The more you do, the tougher it is to maintain quality. They tried experimenting with breaking in some new characters like Shang-Chi and the Eternals with mixed results. I mean, Shang-Chi, I think, was well-received. Unfortunately, it was during the pandemic. And again, it's a new character that's debuting during the pandemic. People were still not going to the box office. 
I think people started going back to the theater during Spider-Man No Way Home. That That's sort of what brought people back to the theater. And that's because it was Spider-Man, because it was Spider-Man. And Eternals, you know, we, we've gone back and forth with the Eternals on this podcast. I like the Eternals movie quite a bit. I thought it was really a nice herald for what's to come in cosmic Marvel, but it did not land with a lot of people. I, I haven't seen the movie in about a year, so I'd have to rewatch it. But, you know, Michelle Waffle Diddle and Namor Cosplay are big fans of that IP. It's no shade at all to, to the Eternals. But I will say... Then we got Judgment Day, like what, a year later in the comics, and no one cared. I, I saw one comment from someone who said, well, I really like Judgment Day. And like, that's great. I'm glad you liked it. But it doesn't mean that everyone liked it and that it landed with readers. That's, we have to think about these characters as IPs that need to endure. So, you know, again, I personally like the Eternals. I know people like the Eternals. I would ask, why didn't it land with other people? And, and and sort of learn from your mistakes there. I would not have done a crossover in the comics with the X-Men. It did not get them any favors. Okay. With budgets as big as these, you need home runs. Again, though, in fairness to both movies, it was during the pandemic. It was during lockdown. People were not going back to the movies. Again, the exception being Spider-Man No Way Home. The Marvels, which opens in theaters on November 10th. Ooh, that's soon. Ooh, nine days. I can't wait. We'll struggle to get the ball past the infield. I don't understand sports references. At least by Marvel's outsized standards. The movie, which costs $250 million and sees Brie Larson reprising her role, is tracking to open to $75 to $80 million. And guys, the general rule of thumb is $250 million to make. Add in an extra $100 million for marketing. So $350 million. So around $350 to $400 million this movie needs to make just to break even. So when you're tracking at 75 to $80 million, ugh, that's far below the $185 million Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness took in domestically in its debut weekend last year. Now, I will say again, Multiverse of Madness had Elizabeth Olsen. That is, that is why it did really well. If you took Elizabeth Olsen out of that movie, there wasn't going to be there wasn't going to be much of a box office. It almost kissed a billion dollars because of Elizabeth Olsen. Directed by Nia DaCosta, the Marvel unites Larson's heroine with two super-powered allies. Tiana Paris's Monica Rambeau, introduced in the 2021 Disney Plus series WandaVision, and Iman Vellani's Kamala Khan, first seen in 2022 series Miss Marvel. But instead of seamlessly building on the success of Captain Marvel, the movie resulted in four weeks of reshoots to bring coherence to a tangled storyline. I don't know too much about this, so we're discovering this for the first time. Multiverse of Bandas also had several extensive reshoots. In fact, I think people were saying that they reshot all of Multiverse of Bandas. So these Marvel reshoots are not unheard of. They're baked into what I'm assuming is the actor's contract and schedules. Everyone knows reshoots are going to come. But I will say, I have heard the Marvels did have a lot of reshoots and that's why it kept getting pushed back. But again, what Marvel movie has it? The eyebrows were raised again when DaCosta began working on another film while the Marvels was still in post-production. Yeah. That's kind of tough when your director is working on another movie and the Marvels isn't even in the can yet. I mean, listen, I'm sure it's because of all the reshoots and everything just delayed her schedule. But yeah, it, 
you want a director just sitting, editing the film in post-production with the entire team, making sure that it's the best version, dedicating every hour of the day to it. So, yeah, I mean, I can see where that's a bit, bit of a red flag. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa Thompson drama, Hedda. A representative for DaCosta declined to comment. If you're directing a $250 movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months to go, says a source familiar with the production. I agree with you, but I I, I mean, was she contractually obligated to start this other movie with Tessa Thompson? I, I don't know how that all works on the back end, but I would imagine... She's been working on the Marvels for so long. She did one cut, then they had to do reshoots, and then they had to do reshoots again. I, I guess it just delays all of her scheduling. But yeah, I mean, listen, it's true. You you want your director to be available. <laughs> the Marvels has seen its release date move back twice, too. Once to swap places with Quantumania, <laughs> uh, which was deemed further along. And again, when its debut shifted from July to November to give the filmmakers more time to tinker. But that extra time didn't necessarily help. In June, Marvel, which traditionally only solicits feedback from Disney employees and their friends and families, took the uncharacteristic step of holding a public test screening in Texas. The audience gave the film middling reviews. Aww. Yeah, I have heard that the... The screenings for the Marvels hasn't been that good. That makes me sad. I really am excited for it. I'm not expecting much from it. I'm just expecting a fun movie. That's it. There's obviously a lot of rumors out there of what it could be connected to, obviously, but not expecting much. But Marvel has never been in the business of being average. There you go. I, I shouldn't be saying I'm not expecting much because, again, this line, Variety nailed it here. But Marvel has never been in the business of being average. Kevin's real superpower, his genius, has always been in post-production and getting his hands on movies and making sure that they finished strongly, the source adds. These days, he's spread thin. Feige declined to comment for the story. Feige isn't the only person showing signs of strain. Marvel's entire VFX battalion, including staffers and vendors, is struggling to keep pace with a never-ending stream of productions. This past February, when the credits rolled at the world premiere of Quantumania, shock rippled through the Regency Village Theater in Westwood over some shoddy CGI. Yes, I mean, we have talked about this on the podcast before. We got into so many arguments with people in DM, not arguments, but like spirited discussions on people with people on DMs and in comments. The Modoc. CGI was terrible. I'm sorry. It was infuriating. I think GameStop or GameRadar, one of those websites, said that fans were angry. It was actually inciting anger at how Modoc CGI was. And yes, I was one of those people. I agree. It was insulting. It was insulting. And we know everything that's going on with Victoria Alonso and how she was responsible for CGI. That is an episode for another day. But, you know, there... there the CGI team and Marvel definitely need to go on a retreat <laughs> together and work out their problems. There were at least 10 scenes where the visual effects had been added at the last minute and were out of focus, says one veteran power broker who was there. <laughs> veteran power broker. What are these monikers? It was insane. 
It was insane. I've never seen something like that in my entire career. Everyone was talking about it. Even the kids of executives were talking about it. I agree. See, the, the CG for Quantumania was bad. The schedule swap with the Marvels had left the Ant-Man sequel in a squeeze, pushing up its post-production schedule by four and a half months. Fair. So they were rushed. Marvel films are known for coming down to the wire, given Kevin Feige's ability to foam the runway and land a plane that way. I don't understand that expression, but sure, I, I understand what it means. That, you know, they're always down to the wire, but that's fine because this is how Kevin Feige is able to deliver his magic. Says one executive familiar with the with how the company operates, but this level of unfinished was unprecedented and would be noted in scathing reviews when the tentpole with the 200 million budget opened 11 days after the premiere. Critics weren't the only ones dismayed, fed up with 14-hour days and no overtime. Marvel VFX workers voted unanimously to unionize in September, sparking an industry-wide trend. Good for them. I used to work insane hours at my corporate jobs, and if I ever put in for overtime, it was very frowned upon. I have a job now that I love more than anything, and I get paid very fairly. And if there's any overtime, there's always a discussion. But when I was talking about overtime with my bosses in corporate America, it was just a volume of work. I'm not going to say anything new to anyone on the internet. Every company is understaffed, and there's mountains of work that need to get done. But there was always a talk of like, why are you putting in overtime? The year 2023 was the straw that broke the camel's back, says former Marvel Studios VFX assistant coordinator Anna George. I, I really like that we have a name here and not some hyperbolic moniker. Thank you, Anna George, for contributing to this article, who appeared before the Congressional Labor Caucus on October 19th to testify about the studio's untenable deadlines and working conditions. The pay and long hours at Marvel were the reason we had to start our unionization process there. The conditions were completely unsustainable. Damn. I mean, listen, that's fair. I mean, these movies are VFX heavy. Disney's top brass, including newly returned CEO Bob Iger, was said to be apologetic about Marvel's VFX troubles. One month after the Quantum Mania premiere debacle, the guillotine fell on Victoria Alonso, as we just talked about, who oversaw the studio's physical production, post-production, VFX, and animation. While the reason cited for her abrupt firing was her unauthorized role as an executive producer on the Oscar-nominated film Argentina 1985, insiders say Disney was incensed that quality control on its Marvel productions was plummeting, particularly on the ever-expanding TV front. I don't know how I feel about the VFX on the TV front, to be very honest with you. I'm thinking I, my mind is going to WandaVision and Miss Marvel. They were fine. I mean, I think we understood that some things are a TV budget. Oh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Oh, my God. I forgot about Moon Knight. Yes, Moon Knight. I, I reviewed Moon Knight with Cole over at Masters of Comic Books. And my thing was, wow, this VFX budget is terrible. And he was you're like, no, no, you're being harsh on it. I'm like, no, it is terrible. It's okay to like it. It's okay to be, hey, it, it, it's good enough for me. But objectively, it was bad. And yes, Moon Knight. I'm like, I'm here thinking like, I didn't think WandaVision was that bad. And I thought 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier was beautiful and Hawkeye was good. And I'm like, oh, my God, Moon Knight. Yes, Moon Knight was terrible. Oh, and She-Hulk. Well, was She-Hulk bad? I I go back and forth on She-Hulk. I think there were some episodes of She-Hulk where it was really good and other episodes of She-Hulk where I don't think the, the VFX were good. So I'm back and forth on She-Hulk. I'd have to rewatch She-Hulk again to give a proper analysis on it. But no doubt Moon Knight. I remember Moon Knight was awful. The VFX logjam had been evident for some time when some final effects for such Disney Plus series as WandaVision and She-Hulk Attorney at Law inserted after their streaming debuts. That Alonzo was busy promoting her art house project while Rome Burns certainly didn't sit well with Disney's leaderships. Alonzo's attorney says client is unable to comment. But some internal sources suggest Alonzo was a scapegoat and point to the She-Hulk VFX issues as a symptom of a deeper rot, namely a lack of oversight on script development. I agree on that 100%. In the original arc of She-Hulk, a flashback of star Tatiana Maslany's transformation into her Hulk character didn't take place until episode 8, the penultimate episode. But after Marvel's Brain Trust watched footage, it realized the scene needed to happen in the pilot episode so audiences could see more of the character's backstory. That meant that the VFX team was tasked with fixing the mess in post-production. Okay, so that's interesting. I'm glad that they had it in the first episode, though. I, and, and I see where that would be a conundrum for the VFX team. The so-called bad VFX we see was because of half-baked scripts, says one person involved with She-Hulk. Ooh, this, this plot thickens. This is not Victoria. This That is Kevin. That is not Victoria. That is Kevin. And even above Kevin. Ooh, those issues should be addressed in pre-production. I agree. 100%. You should be going into a project with the scripts as tight as they possibly can. Again, we know that scripts will change because of unforeseen factors during the production process, but that script should be as tight as possible going into pre-production. The timeline is not allowing the Marvel executives to sit with the material. All the while, Marvel was bleeding money with a single episode of She-Hulk costing some $25 million dwarfing the budget of the final season of HBO's Game of Thrones. Now, do you remember when Buffy moved from WB to UPN? And UPN, I believe, paid $2 million for Buffy. And Buffy is like a cult classic. And they did that on a $2 million per episode budget. And She-Hulk, $25 million? And it's not a cult classic? It's all about that writing. It's all about the writing. And by the way, I think Tatiana is fantastic casting as She-Hulk. The August 2022 series premiered at the El Capitan Theater, foreshadowed what was to come six months later at the Quantumania bow. The She-Hulk special effects were out of focus in multiple seats. There are signs that the flood of product is leading people to tune out. I'm not prepared to call it a permanent fall, but based on the numbers that go with Marvel podcasts, Marvel-based articles, friends who do Marvel-based video coverage, all of these numbers are significantly down. Uh, you know, here at Power of I'm like, well, since we are a Marvel podcast and Marvel, you know, content creator, you know, we're, we're still trying to get YouTube off the ground. So I don't think this is a good platform to talk about it for the podcast. You know, we've been fortunate that the podcast has a steady rise. You know, and I, I will say some of the engagement we would typically have gotten for MCU stuff isn't landing as, as well as it used to. 
They will say that, says Joanna Robinson, co-author of the New York Times bestseller MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Oh, I'm reading that right now, who is a writer and podcaster at The Ringer. I'm reading that right now, and me and Namor Cosplay are going to break down all the tea in that book. It's really good. You guys, I, I have the Audible, I believe. Namor also listened to the audio, but go buy the book, listen to the audiobook. It's so good. The quality is suffering. In 2019, at the peak, if you put Marvel Studios in front of something, people were like, oh, that brand means quality. Agreed. Agreed. The thing about Marvel Studios and people, you know, who used to raise their noses and be like, oh, that's a superhero movie. These were quality movies. They truly were. Now, now you can now you can raise your nose at anything with the Marvel Studios logo in front of it. I agree. But back then, you know, up until No Way Home, it, it was some good quality storytelling. That association is no longer the case because there have been so many projects that felt half-baked and undercooked. I think half-baked and undercooked is fair. Again, I love She-Hulk so much. I love the John Byrne run. I love the Charles Soule run. I think it needed to go back into the pre-production process, and you needed to grab that red pen and edit those scripts and be a little harsher on those scripts just so they were good scripts because it had a wonderful message. It had a wonderful lead. It's a character that people adore in the comics. Just make sure you get her right. And again, I can't believe we live in a world where She-Hulk wasn't a slam dunk. Although ratings for She-Hulk weren't bad. They weren't bad. They were pretty up there on the chart. You know, What If and Miss Marvel were were pretty bad ratings for for Disney Plus, but She-Hulk at least was was sort of up there. But, you know, we should all be excited to see She-Hulk appear again. Oh, I'm so sad about that. As public criticism mounts, Feige is pulling the plug on scripts and projects that aren't working. Case in point, Blade Reboot. With Marcella Ali signed on for the lead role of the vampire, things looked promising for a 2023 release date, but the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before production. One person familiar with the script says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was regulated to fourth lead, a bizarre idea considering the studio had two-time winner Ali on board. Amid reports that Ali was ready to exit over script issues, Fahi went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar-nominated writer of Logan, to start anew. Speculation around town is that the studio is looking to make the film now slotted for 2025 on a budget less than $100 million, a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. Ooh, that's burn. Oh, gosh. I... There was so much good hype for Blade. I'm sorry that they weren't able to deliver. And that's very weird about the script. Ooh, ooh. With Iger publicly acknowledging the downside of Marvel TV glut that diluted focus and attention. I don't think it diluted focus and attention, though. Oh, I, I just feel like the wrong lessons are being taken out of this. I, I Again... I think it was just the lack of telling a through line story. I, why isn't Kevin Feige 
sitting down with all of these scripts and taking out his red editorial pen and being like, okay, Michael Waldron, you, you, you broke the timeline for Loki here. Make sure you pick that up in Doctor Strange. And hey, Sony, we're doing this whole universe multiverse timeline is broken. And since we're dealing with the multiverse in Spider-Man, No Way Home, let's make sure we're on the same page with this. And let me tell you what's happening. And we can even loan you some characters to appear in that movie. Ah! Although Sony's like, we don't want to touch the MCU now. <laughs> Sony now is just like, nope. With Iger publicly acknowledging the downside, um, the keepers of the comic book empire are considering some dramatic moves. Sources say there have been talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, both of whom were killed off in Endgame. That shouldn't be a stumbling block in comic books. Beloved characters are often killed off only to be resurrected thanks to the power of things like the multiverse. Well, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. No characters. Yes, of course, other multiverse powers like the multiverse do play a role. But as a comic book fan, we want our version of the character that died to come back. And it's oftentimes that version of the character that comes back, not a multiverse counterpart not a multiverse counterpart although it has happened of course it's happened but that's only for a temporary amount of time fans will always want that original 616 character to die and come back and there's a, a multitude of ways to bring them back <laughs> oh that kind of pisses me off i don't think this person understands how comic books work no we are not okay if Jean Grey dies in the comics and you give us Teen Gene or Age of Apocalypse Gene we want our 616 Gene that died in planet X by Zornito. And, and when we got her back, we were happy as Crazy Jean stands. Oh, that line pisses me off so much. That person, th this line right here tells me that this person, that was a very lazy line right there. I'm sorry, Familia. You know, I have an MFA in writing. So when I look at something like this, this was a one liner just to, to just, I don't know. I don't even know why it's there. You know, death being a revolving door in comics is a typical thing. That's all that they had to write there. They didn't have to write things like powers, things like the multiverse. Oh. Thanks to the power of things like the multiverse. No, I absolutely not. No, resurrection happens. I will say proper resurrection of a character has nothing to do with the multiverse at times. But I, sure. Okay. But the studio hasn't yet committed to the idea. If it were able to bring back those actors, it wouldn't come cheap. Sources say Downey Jr.'s upfront salary for Iron Man was around $25 million. So one episode of She-Hawk. So don't produce don't produce seven or six episodes of She-Hawk, just produce five, and then boom, you're done. But I don't know. You killed Iron Man. Captain America is aged and living his happily ever after with Peggy Carter. I, I think, I don't know. I wouldn't bring back. Robert Downey Jr. As much as I loved him in the role, and I wouldn't bring back ScarJo either. I, I I would focus on the characters that have landed with audiences, and two of them being Spider-Man and Scarlet Witch. I would I would focus on those two characters and building a universe around them and bringing in the X-Men. Give us Storm. Everyone wants Storm in the MCU. Give us Storm. Will that solve Marvel's majors problem? When the Quantumania actor was arrested in March, Disney executives insisted that they could afford to play a wait-and-see game given that the Avengers Kang Dynasty wasn't expected to shoot until early 24. But then Majors was dropped in quick succession by his publicists and managers. He remains a client at WME, the agency where he landed after CAA 
parted with him pre-arrest for his brutal conduct towards staff. Ooh, that's a burn. Oh, gosh, that's not helping Jonathan Majors at all. Let me reread that line just to make sure I read it correctly. He remains a client at WME, the agency where he landed after CAA parted ways with him pre-arrest for his brutal conduct toward staff, says one source. CAA declined to comment. The fact that Variety is running this, they must be they must be pretty confident in their source because that this I I, I would imagine if this is going to be if if his trial is going to be looking at his character, if to see if he really did do what he was accused of, this line right here in a variety piece for his brutal conduct towards staff, I mean that's going to have to come up, or his lawyers are at least aware of it that it could play a role in any legal proceedings. Wow, the fact that Variety put in that line that doesn't look good for Jonathan Majors, in my opinion. It just my opinion as a d-list podcaster i would just i would be upset if i was jonathan majors and i was like okay they're doing this whole report on me and everything that's going on but they put in this line i'm like that that feels pointed in april other alleged domestic violence victims of majors began cooperating with the manhattan district attorney's office then ahead of a key hearing in october Media outlets, including Variety, obtained a court filing that referenced a police incident in London involving majors that led his ex-girlfriend to seek medical attention. I didn't know any of this this part. Again, I, I followed what was going on with Jonathan Majors early on as it, as, as it initially happened. But then I was like, let me just wait till to see how everything plays out because the media is always running around. You know, there's news stories every day. There's a lot of clickbait out there for Melia, but... Damn that! This is this is a tough paragraph to get through. This is a tough paragraph to get through because I I didn't know a lot of this stuff, especially what happened in London with his then ex girlfriend having to seek medical attention. Making matters even stickier, the ex girlfriend also worked on Quantum Mania as a movement coach, and the London incident took place while Majors was shooting season two of Loki. On October 25th, a New York judge denied Major's motion to dismiss the case, which ensures that the actor will stand trial in late November. All right, so November 1st, his legal team is attempting to keep some material in the case sealed. I mean, I think Variety has sort of made their feelings known about what's going on with Jonathan Majors with that paragraph. I mean, I, I think they're objectively reporting it, but the fact that they've been able to put it right here in the story. A studio source notes that regardless of the actor's legal issues, Marvel already had considered moving away from Majors lead phase because of the box office performance of Quantumania. That's on them though. I get putting aside all of those legal issues, which you know, I don't think should be put aside when considering someone's role in your blockbuster franchise movies, summer movies. I, I think the problem with 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 Kang was more writing. I, there was definitely hype for the character of Kang. Quantumania did a lot of damage to that character, which will struggle to make a profit. Quantumania, which will struggle to make a profit. It gave people pause given that Quantumania didn't exactly land. 
But that's not that's not Kang's fault. That's not the character of Kang. Disney removed another majors film, Searchlights, Magazine Dreams, from the release calendar. Yeah. Wow. Recasting majors is also an option, as Feige did when he replaced Terrence Howard in Iron Man 2. In fact, Marvel isn't afraid to change direction, even after making splashing announcements. Armor Wars was first unveiled as a series and is now being developed as a feature, while the studio's push to adapt the comic book Inhumans into a feature film generated headlines, but is now dormant. Right, but that it was announced as a movie and then it turned into a television show that no one liked. Okay, here. The now defunct Marvel television mounted as Inhumans TV series in 2017 that ran for one season on ABC. All right, here's the home stretch of the article, guys. You're still with me. Still, there was one bright spot in 2023 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which became Marvel's biggest draw of the year with 845 million worldwide. The fact that it is what the fact that it was directed by James Gunn, the guy now running rival DC Studios, was lost on no one. Right, but I mean, James Gunn was also fired because of those tweets that resurfaced, rehired. He had already been working on Peacemaker and Suicide Squad 2. So, it, and by the way, James Gunn isn't doing too well over at DC so far. So, yeah, it, it, that movie, Guardians did really well, but James Gunn's work at DC isn't doing isn't off to a great start. I mean, Blue Beetle and The Flash and Shazam 2, and, and, and those are projects he inherited, yes, but he also said that they were doing a soft reboot. Um, those out, uh, out of the gate haven't been so good either. We'll see how Superman does, but James Gunn isn't, isn't having a good year either. So for him, he should take note that he went to the rival studio while his movie... At, at, at the rival studio that he once worked at is doing so great and got lots of money and great critical appeal. But also, I mean, I will also say it's you have the entire Guardians cast, which that is lightning in the bottom. The Guardians of the Galaxy cast. I, It is great direction. I don't want to take away from Guardians of the Galaxy. It is truly great direction at Guardians of the Galaxy. The entire franchise I love. But the direction is just the direction and the score is just one component of what has made this franchise so special. And a lot of it has to go to the actors. Those actors are lightning in a bottle. They work so well together. With Marvel, it used to be as close to a guarantee as you could get. So going all in on the budget made sense. Guardians 3 was a bit overlooked in how successful it was, but that had James Gunn and Chris Pratt. And I think star power is becoming more important. I mean, again, like I just said, I, I wouldn't just give it to Chris Pratt, but, Chris is a major factor in that, of course, as is James. But you have you have Zoe Saldana, you have Vin Diesel, you have Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper gave a phenomenal performance in this as Rocket Raccoon. So it is an ensemble. I just want I just I hope it's just not lost on people who read this and think, well, James Gunn and Chris Pratt made that movie special. No, because James Gunn and Chris Pratt can go do a movie now at DC, and I'm sure it wouldn't be as great as Guardians because of the Guardians cast. Sorry, I'm done with that rant. Then there was Quantumania with 476 million. Anything under half a billion dollars is viewed as a disappointment, and these overreaching expectations as a result of so much success over the years. I will say, though, Ant-Man, in fairness to everything that was going on with Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania, and, and we love Paul Rudd. No shade on Paul Rudd, but Ant-Man has never really generated a lot of hype. 
with with Marvel fans. I mean, he was fun in Endgame. We were very happy with Paul Rudd in Endgame, but to lead a franchise, I don't know if we needed, you know, the the, the additional movies we did. I I guess Ant Man and the Wasp did really well, which was the sequel to Ant Man. It did well because it happened after Infinity War, and you know we saw some fallout for that, and Ant Man being trapped in the Quanta realm while Hope and Janet and Hank were snapped away. I mean that was a pretty awesome post credit scene, but still, you know the first Ant Man didn't generate a lot of hype. We got some good hype with the second one because of what was going on in the MCU. And now, of course, no one cares. And and they put in Jonathan Majors there and everyone was excited for Kang and still no one cared for Ant-Man. The key to reinvigorating Marvel may lie with the superhero arsenal that Disney acquired during its 2019 purchase of 21st Century Fox. That deal brought several blue chip heroes such as the X-Men and the Fantastic Four back under the studio's control. Already, fans are geeking out about next year's Deadpool 3, which reunites Ryan Reynolds with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and a reboot of Fantastic Four slotted for 2025. Yes, agree. Yes, agree. Everyone's so excited for Deadpool 3 and the Fantastic Four reboot. Absolutely. As a bonus, the Fox additions give Feige an opportunity to reimagine the X-Men franchise. So, oh, but you got you to be careful with how you're going to reimagine it, Feige. Got to be really careful. Uh, we X-Men fans are very particular. We're very particular. The very property he cut his teeth on as a young executive at Lauren Schuler Donner's production company. Yes, Feige worked on the original X-Men trilogy. I believe it was Last Stand. Now that the writer's strike, now that the Writers Guild of America strike is in the rearview mirror, Marvel has started talking to writers about bringing the X-Men into the MCU fold. You see, this is where I think it's wrong. And I was going to do a video on this, but I, I think the news came and went by the time I was able to get to it. Here's the thing. Why are they taking pitches of what other people think the X-Men should be? It should be Kevin Feige and the execs at Marvel Studio who have a vision for the X-Men. I don't get it. While Feige recalibrates, the rest of the industry is anxiously hoping that Marvel's best days are not behind it. I think we are hoping the best days are not behind it, but I think they are. I, I think you're not going to get that general audience hype anymore unless you take a break. Let's see. I, I, I can think of Star Wars where the original trilogy did so well and it's expanded, you know, generations of, of fans and it spawned generations of fans. And then the prequels came and they were kind of lackluster. But then with The Force Awakens, I know everything that's going on with Star Wars right now, but Force Awakens, when it was when it premiered a couple years ago, man, everyone was excited for Force Awakens and it reinvigorated the Star Wars IP. So they may need to Marvel may need to take a break and then come back just to rebuild that hype again. Writing the Marvel obituary would be ill-advised, says Jason Squire, professor emeritus at USC School of Cinematic Arts and host of the Movie Business Podcast. Kevin Feige is the Babe Ruth of movie executives, and Marvel has the most profitable track record in movie history. No question. All right, that was a lot, Familia. Listen, there's no doubt that things are going on at Marvel. Let's see how things pan out. I do agree that the future of the MCU is with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. They got to be careful how they're going to be doing the X-Men. I know we're all excited for Deadpool 3, but 
I worry that bringing back the Fox X-Men for Deadpool 3 and presumably Secret Wars and not just doing a strict reboot of the characters could be more damaging in the long run or muddle or give us a lot of muddle storylines. Again, I get it. It worked for No Way Home. Everyone was excited to see Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. But I think the X-Men just need a clean slate once and for all. I, I, I think a very simple thing that the snap was the epicenter of activating the mutant X gene on Earth. That's it. You know, it's just something really quick and easy and start introducing the mutants in the MCU that way. But let's see what they're going to do with the multiverse. Or, you know, they could have had Wanda say more mutants in, in, in Multiverse of Madness, right? There were so many other ways. I also think not making Wanda a mutant was a big mistake. They should have made Wanda a mutant first in the MCU. We can disagree. We can agree on how they should be handling the X-Men in the MCU. But I think we can all agree that the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are the are going to be the saviors of the MCU if they do it right. Thank you for sticking with me with this article. Leave your feels below. Let's talk about this. Let's be kind. I was reading this as it was happening, so a lot of my ideas haven't been fully formed. A lot of my opinions don't, don't hang on to every little word, but drop your feels there in the comments. Amelia.